what are we doing and how can we do it better? Those are the things we should be talking about, not just really stoking these fires of anger and hatred and division because that's all that's happening right now. And it really offends me. It offends me in such a great way because I have two children that are trying to find their identity in this world and they see it stacked against them. My name is Linda Laurel, and I'm asking you to have the courage to listen with an open mind to all of our voices because our voices matter. Hey everybody, it's Linda Laurel. Welcome to a very special episode of Our Voices Matter podcast. So when I was a little girl growing up on the south side of Chicago, I first laced up a pair of figure skates when I was four years old. And I spent a great deal of my childhood on the ice and watching some of the best figure skaters as they did their thing around the world at the Olympics and World Figure Skating Championships, etc. Well, today I get to interview one of the icons of that world, Scott Hamilton. Scott Hamilton has won 70 titles, awards, and honors, including an Emmy nomination, induction into the United States Olympic Hall of Fame, thanks to that 1984 gold medal that he won in Sarajevo. And he's also a privileged member of the World Figure Skating Hall of Fame. He's also a best-selling author. He's a dad. He is a wonderful husband. He is the founder of the CARES Foundation. He's a cancer survivor, and he is now about to embark upon a new venture, the Scott Hamilton CARES Foundation Encourage X Collection. Scott is all about encouraging his fellow human beings and living each day to its absolute fullest. I cannot wait to share this conversation with you. Enjoy. Scott Hamilton, what a pleasure and joy to see you and have an opportunity to talk to you. How are you? I am actually great. You know, it's, it's, and it's a decision, right? Yes, <laughs> you know, it it's, is. It's a choice. You know, we can, especially we in can, these days. <laughs> oh man, we can get crushed in so many different ways, but I, I, the swing thought every day, right? The swing thought is the, that thought just before you, you know, try to hit the ball. The swing thought every day is, is how do I make this a great day? And, and, it's, and, and, you know, sometimes, you know, you just gotta rise above. Yeah. Yes, and, I hear you. But in general, you know, I've been blessed beyond my wildest dreams, expectations. I never would have thought to dream the life that I've been given, you know, and I had to participate in that obviously, but it's just like, uh, I, I just, I'm blessed. And I, and I just, um, I, I recognize that on a consistent basis. <laughs> let's let's talk about that dream life that you've been given because it didn't start out as a dream life per se, right? I mean, we all know you because of your incredible accomplishments as uh, a gold medal winning uh, figure skater and a four-time U.S. national champion figure skater and all of the great things that you've done since then. But it wasn't easy for you when you were growing up. So tell me a little bit about your backstory. Well, I mean, it's it, it all comes down to kind of that um, that idea that if, if you were to, you know, do your timeline and you see what the, you know, the ups and downs were, you know, the negatives and the positives. I always kind of um, felt like I was, you know, there was always some sort of curse, right? Because a lot of really tough things happened. And 
And it would usually something good would happen and then something horrible would be on the other side of it, you know? So, you know, it's, it's like, um, you know, I, I was adopted at six weeks of age, you know, amazing family. My mom was just this little four by four and, and just the center of my universe. And I loved her like, you know, so much. Right. And my dad was this very strict, you know, he was ROTC in college and he was a professor, PhD in biology, and no one was going to take his class for the grade and we we're going to accomplish. We we're going to, you know, he was very focused yeah. and very <laughs> driven. And, and I, I, I scored, man. I, I love my parents and they were amazing, amazing parents and good people. And, and uh, then I got sick, you know, I, I stopped growing and, and uh, they couldn't figure out what was going on. And, and so for, I, I call it my first tour. Um, for four years in four different hospitals, I, I had test after test after test. And they were trying to figure out what was, what, why I wasn't growing, why I wasn't developing, why I was so sickly, why, um, why, why, why. And they could never come to, you know, they, they, they would kind of almost sort of gravitate towards a misdiagnosis. And then they're like, no, that didn't pan out. And I finally um, had every symptom of a celiac kind of disease called Schwachmann-Diamond syndrome. And so I was fortunate um, to be able to be seen by Dr. Schwachman himself. And wow. he put me through every test you could imagine. And, and again, this is four years of a lot of stress for my family. And, and they were school teachers, so they didn't have a lot of means to be able to do all these things, right? And so at the end of my time with him, he just said, you know, he has every symptom, but he does not have Schwachman-Diamond syndrome. So here's the best I could advice I can give you. Since you've been doing this for four years and we have no answers, go home, live a normal life and just see what happens next. And so we went home and they took me out. How old were you? At the, how old were you at this point? <clears throat> I was uh, I was about to turn nine years old. So, um, yeah. So I uh, went home, um, you know, I was, I was able to have, uh, you know, flour sugar, dairy. So birthday parties started to become fun again, you know, <laughs> instead of, I can't eat that. Uh, and I just, um, you know, stepped into next and it was going to school every day. And, and um, my parents though, were pretty shattered and exhausted. So our family physician just told them they needed a morning off. And they said, uh, how are we going to do that? You know, we've got these three kids and you know, my brother was adopted four years after me. And so it was right when my brother was adopted, I started having all these health issues. And so um, <clears throat> they just said, you know, my doctor said, well, my daughter's just started this program at the brand new facility at the university that I know you know about, um, where they teach kids how to skate from eight in the morning until noon. And um, why, did, why does he just go with my kids and he'd be supervised and safe and everything else. So I went to the rink and I was very sick. I had a nose tube coming out because they fed me a supplement that I refused to drink. So the compromise was the nose tube up my nose and down my esophagus and into my belly. And so I walk into the rink and all the kids kind of go, what's wrong with you? (laughs) So I knew I was different. I knew I was weaker, lesser. I I just, you know, I was the shortest Mm. kid in my grade and all this stuff. So I always kind of felt inferior and it was, you know, probably a few weeks into the skating program that I realized I could skate as well as well kids. And then because even, even with the tube up your nose, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it was like one of those things where it was that first taste of self-esteem. And then uh, a few weeks yes. later, I realized that I could skate as well as the best athletes in my 
grade. And then I felt like, wow, there's a superpower here. And uh, I need to really pay attention to this. So I just started, you know, um, skating and I started, uh, you know, taking it more seriously. And I was taking private lessons. And then I got into, you know, being a full-time figure skater. And then the teasing that came from being in a very small town and being a male figure skater was, you know, sort of significant. And so I, I ended up uh, insisting that I play hockey just to kind of shut them up because I knew I could skate better than all of them. It was just coming down to <laughs> you could what you could kind of circles around them. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of blade am I on? Right. That's the only difference. And so yeah. I played hockey for three seasons or two neck braces, depending on your um, perspective, and <laughs> and then just stepped away because I was figure skating and playing hockey at the same time. So I lived at the rink and I started growing again. I started developing muscle. I started um, digesting food properly. And, and it my just life sort changed. of happened. And, and all of this, they never, I mean, during this whole time, as you're developing your figure skating, you, you still didn't know what the issue had been earlier in your life. No, it was never really diagnosed. Later, we have a really strong clue and indicator of what was going on. But you know, life was kind of that roller coaster. You know, I think if something really good happens, you know, then something bad's going to come on the other side. And uh, yeah, so I started skating, but the problem was, you know, I, I really wasn't very good. I, I do okay, like I do well in regionally. So um, in, in figure skating, like the US is um, cut up into three sections, and each of those sections has three regions. So regionally, I was lights out, I was great. Because there's not that many boys in figure skating. So if you're mm -hmm. a girl in figure skating and you medal, you're very good. But if you're a boy in figure skating and you don't medal, you're not very good. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> uh, so it's kind of that reality, right? So regionally, lights out. Sectionally, eh, nationally, <laughs> disaster. And I didn't like doing figures. So it was one of those things where since I didn't like it, it didn't like me back. You know, it's kind so of what was the turning point? What was the turning point for you? So where you went from not being so good to world class? Uh, it, you know, it's, I grew up a little bit. Um, and then uh, it was right after uh, my first year on the junior level that I came in seventh out of nine at nationals. Um, I actually beat two guys for the first time ever. Um, my mom came home from a doctor's visit and with a big smile on her face, she told us all that she'd just been diagnosed with a disease called cancer. And so, um, mm. yeah, so the, that year, um, they told, she basically said, we're broke. I'm sick. Um, you know, we, we have to make some changes. And she said, we're going to get you through your last year in skating because you're going to graduate high school this year. We can send you to college next year because we're both professors at the university we can afford free. So this will be your last year in skating, make it count. And so I went, I went back to um, my training place in Illinois and my coach had retired and a new coach came in who was a real whip cracker. I mean, this guy was just like tough, really mm -hmm. tough. And I said, well, I got to lose. I might as well submit, you know? So I, I, my training took on a different intensity that year. And for whatever reason, you know, I went to the nationals, my mom arrived and she'd have her left breast removed and mostly inside of her left arm. And she was wearing a wig because she lost all her hair to chemo. And she just had a smile on her face the whole week. And it's like, are you okay? And she says, I'm great. And it's like, is it, they have drugs or something? <laughs> because it's just like, you know, so she said, you skate, we'll figure it out later on. And so I, for whatever reason, um, 
maybe it was because I actually trained for the first time. I won junior nationals. And because I, the trajectory of winning out of like ninth at nationals, ninth at nationals, seventh at nationals, winning nationals, uh, coach who that year was coaching um, this relatively unknown girl named Dorothy Hamill to an Olympic gold medal, um, had a sponsor in his hip pocket and gave me a second life in skating. And so, um, wow, you know, and so now I turn 18, graduate high school. Um, I'm sponsored. I get my own apartment. It's the trifecta, right? Where you're 18 apartment sponsor. It didn't go well. <laughs> I didn't have the material. A little, little too much, uh, too, little too much freedom there, huh? Yeah. A lot. yeah. I was just yeah. not ready for that. And not so ready. I went yeah. to that nationals and I came in ninth again, back to ninth, right? Ninth mm-hmm. was my number. And it was right after that competition that I, you know, as soon as I was done with competition, I go home and I spend time with my family. And so I went back home because my mom's um, cancer had had taken a turn for the worse. And um, I remember I was in her room until about three o'clock in the morning in the hospital and she wasn't conscious or anything. So it wasn't any interaction. And then I went home and because we had a lot of people supporting us, I was sleeping on the couch in the family room. And my brother-in-law came in and just said, your mother is gone. And all I could think to say was, I know. That was it. So I went for a walk in the backyard and it was there that things changed forever because I realized that um, I, I couldn't grieve her any other way than to take her with me to the ice every single time and try to be that person she always thought I could be or always thought I was that I didn't see right so um I just turned it up like 12 notches I I I would if I was running a little bit late it's like oh I'm gonna be late it's like no you're not you're gonna honor her so I would show up on time if I didn't feel like doing a long program run through um I would I would just say honor her and I would do the run the, the run through and you know full intensity and and again, from just that decision to honor my mom and, and, you know, every time I took the ice, everything changed. I went from being ninth um, in the U.S. to third in the U.S. and 11th in the world just a few months later. And then two years later, I'm on the Olympic team uh, where I came in fifth. And then uh, for the next four years between 1980 and 1984, I went undefeated. And it was um, just in that one decision just to take my mom with me every single time I took the ice and to try to, again, aspire to be the person she always saw in me that I didn't see in myself. So, um, you know, life changed forever. You know, I remember Doug Wilson from ABC. He was one of the original directors in the wide world of sports. Um, he just, I went back um, after the medal ceremony, just, you know, to, you know, kind of interact with him and show him the medal and everything else. And he goes, he just said, Oh, um, by the way, from this moment forward, your life is forever changed. And I went, oh, okay. I had no idea. <laughs> and I, I went back home and life was a bit different. <laughs> you know, yeah. Let's just say, and now there was opportunity. I was flat broke. I was living in uh, one of my best friend's parents' basements. Um, I was being looked after, you know, kind of um, all those years. Um, and um, now it was time for me to step out on my own. And so um, I knew I needed to turn pro uh, and I just decided I was going to approach my professional career with the same intensity and, and integrity that I approached my amateur career, which was unusual back then because a lot of 
times people would go through their Olympic time and then they turn professional and, and things would just sort of unravel, you know, just the, it was a different lifestyle. It was a different training. It was a different preparation. It was a different day to day. And I decided that I wanted to embrace it. I had three role models back then. Um, and they weren't skaters. You know, I, I, I really, I pay attention to things. I, I love the way Neil Diamond um, took the stage because it was joy, right? Pure joy. And it was just, it was infectious. And that's why every one of his shows was sold out. I, I want to be like that. And then there was um, Bruce Springsteen was number two. And it was like, he was blue collar, blue collar, oh. just built his audience one night at a time was going to work and going to earn that right to perform in front of that person. Again, that person can't wait to come back. I wanted to be that guy. And then there was this other guy that I just always admired. It was Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin. When he went solo, when he left the, you know, when the band kind of broke up, he really took a lot of chances and risks and he allowed himself to artistically grow in ways that a lot of people didn't expect. He was very unpredictable. And I said, I want to be like that too. And so all those things sort of combined to allow me to um, just and show joy every time I'm on the ice and to work really super hard and try to build an audience and then to, to really be brave and taking risks. I didn't want next year to be a rehash of this year. I wanted it to be something uh, adventurous and bold and kind, kind of like that that backflip that you're known for yeah that came out <laughs> I did that as a pro did that come out right? of that that period yeah, yeah. and it was wow. um one of those things where there was a couple guys in the I was in ice capades then and it was a couple guys in the show doing it and I would I would pay attention I was like wow every time they do that like it gets an eruption from the audience okay I gotta get me one of those because I want <laughs> that same reaction and I remember I was in, I, you know, I worked on it for a whole year. I'm in Salt Lake, at Ice Capades. It was the very beginning of the tour, end of the summer. And uh, I, I went out and it, I mean, my adrenaline was just pumping, just pumping. Cause I, I'd never really done it like under lights on my own to music and everything. And so I went out and I threw this thing and it was probably to this day, the biggest one I've ever done. It just, it floated. Really? And I just, I came down, I could have landed on like butterfly wings and it was just like one of those soft landings and and um it, the place absolutely went, went nuts. bonkers and yeah. it was like okay i'm totally hooked i'm never leaving oh the house God. one of these bad boys so i have, have so to tell you I I built I'm, a career I'm, on I, I'm just such a fan i mean i so i i grew up figure skating Aww. and so for me to have this conversation with you you just have no idea how i'm like pinching Aww, myself right you. now but oh, that so move, that move, I mean, I've seen you do it so many times and you're, I mean, I get chills thinking about it because you just, everything, all, all the people that you just said that you admired and you want, you know, that work ethic and you wanted to come out and take the audience by storm. And you did that, Scott. I mean, that is who you are. So you by far exceeded all of that. And oh my gosh, well, I just had to say you. that. I'm fangirling well, now, but. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I really thought because there was no there was no pathway for a male yeah. figure skater, except to be either like, as they call an HAP, sort of a half-assed principal, you know, or, you know, sort of a soloist in the show. You know, there wasn't really any way to, I could never be Dorothy Hamill. I could never be at that level. And so I just decided that I really wanted to be, and I was going to work towards it. And I thought if, if I could get two to four years out of a professional career, then maybe I was schooling a few people, you know, but I really, I was committed to the long haul. Yeah. And so um, it got to a point where 
I'm on the ice. You know, I, I, I just gotten married and had my, you know, we had our first son and um, he was about six months old. I'm on the ice in New York and I'm like, what am I doing here? And this was 20 years after I turned pro and I'm still skating in arenas. All You know, it's kind of like, okay, it's, it's time to, it's not about me anymore. It's about my son and my family. So I'm going to step away and, and just go into the next. And, and it was, it was easy and it was difficult because it's an identity shift. Right. And I knew that um, in my spirit that, you know, I, I'd gotten way more, like I, as I said earlier, it's like, like I never would have thought to dream any of it. And it, it all just sort of happened. And, and it all happened because of, you know, just showing up every day with that hunger and that, um, it, you know, I, I was talking to Nathan Chen, you know, he's yeah. the greatest skater in the world oh right now. Gosh, and it's like, incredible. as long as we can stay humble and hungry, we're going to be okay. Right. But if we feel entitled or if we feel um, like, you know, the, the tour or the world or the, whatever the ice owes us something then we're probably not going to last very long. And it's like humble and hungry is the best way to approach everything. And if you can do that, then you're really okay with whatever comes <clears throat> of your effort. And um, then you can look at things with an open hand instead of a clenched fist, which is another philosophy that I try to live by. So, wow. So many um, lessons that I'm sure you have learned and have taken away from your journey to this point. And now that you're a dad um, mm. with four amazing <laughs> children, what are the what are the the lessons that you most want them to get from what you have experienced? What what are you telling them now? You know, it's kind of the the whole idea that <clears throat> excuse me um, that we're the only one of us ever to grace this planet, right? So our identity is unique. Our, our abilities, our, our personalities, our, well, whoever we are as, as human beings, we're the only one that has ever been of us. And in that, we have an identity that is unique and can be leveraged in, in different ways. And, and so, you know, I, I always try to be open to, um, there are certain things that are must-haves, and that is, you know, behaviors and, and, you know, certain things that we know are recipes for, you know, faith and everything else that gives us um, that what we need to endure and to survive, you know, this world, but, um, that we have to be open and attentive, you know, to whatever we can do with our individual identities and how we can leverage that into a place in this world. So, um, you know, my, my 17 year old, uh, my oldest birth son and wants to go into the army wouldn't be my first choice, you know, <laughs> but it's been on his heart and he's working hard towards that goal of being prepared hundred percent to be the best soldier that, you know, has ever been. Right. And, you know, um, <clears throat> my oldest son is, you know, he's really got, he's got such life um, energy and spirit. He's just, he's just trying to figure out how he, how he fits into all of this, you know, he's from another country and, and it's just he's from, all the mess. From, he's from Haiti, right? Yes. And he's yes. Uh, a beautiful kid and just yeah, a smile that lights up the room. And he's just, uh, he's got a really beautiful heart. It's just, again, you know, when you're taking in all these messages, you know, it's, um, it's, it's really, you know, kind of hard to kind of push all that away and just focus on um, where you want to go in your life. So we're working through that, you know, with him and he's, I, I, I couldn't love him more. And, 
And um, my daughter, same, when she came from Haiti, she spoke maybe 10 words of English. And she's just, you know, really worked it out. She's um, doing incredibly well in school. Again, from from 10 words in English to be, you know, an honor student is uh, quite the feat. And so she's doing well. And then my little guy, um, <clears throat> he's got a big personality and he's, um, you know, he, he works hard um, and everything he does. And, uh, you know, he's got his own dreams and goals and aspirations. So you just try to nurture that without micromanaging, but also keeping them in their lane as best you can. And, you know, just see what the Lord has in store for them. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about the conversations that you're having as a family. Um, and I said four kids, it's three kids. Yes. It's four. Yeah. It is got, four. Uh, okay. My two birth children um, and my two adopted children. Okay. All right. Okay. So, um, we're living in a very, um, what, unique, difficult, challenging time right now as a country and really as a world. Um, as we're doing this interview now, we are two days, three days after the Derek Chauvin uh, conviction for the murder of George Floyd. Um, you have a mixed race family with two mm -hmm. adopted children who are black. What kinds of conversations are you having in your family right now? What are you telling them? You know, it, it it's it's kind of all over the map. You know, some of it's reactive, some of it's proactive. You know, um, I, I I just um, I got really like uh, upset yesterday. You know, I got I you know I'm I'm you know listening to the radio and and I'm seeing all these things and it just you know um, a friend of mine wrote a book years ago called Kill the Spider. And he was dealing with a lot of cobwebs, right? He just said, I just feel like I'm walking through cobwebs all the time and I'm having to, to you know, chew them away. And, and it's just constant, like all this stuff. And so he went to this place called Onsite in Tennessee. It's a really wonderful mental health. It's not like he was like mentally ill. It was just like, you, it, we all deserve to be at our optimum, you know, emotionally. And, mm -hmm. and so he went there to kind of clear away the cobwebs and he called his dad and he said, I'm going into this place. Just want you to know. And he goes, can I give you some advice? And he said, yeah. And he goes, kill a spider, right? Mm -hmm. So we've lived in a, in a society, in a culture. And, you know, we look back on 50 years ago, the civil rights movement really kicked in and some really incredible things were done. And Martin Luther King and all these great things that were creating pathways to reconciliation and everything else. And I, I, I watch all of these elected officials, you know, talking about um, division and, and, you know, all these things. They're weaponizing all this and they're not addressing it you know it's this is happening on their watch and they're they're there to make a difference in our culture and our society and they're not doing a thing except stoking the fire they're just and they're they're manipulating and using people to for their own gain they, they haven't you know they haven't done a thing in my mind um for the african-american community nothing nothing they haven't created opportunity. They haven't, they, they, it's, it's just one of those things that it just, when you take a step back and you really look at what's been done in order to improve schools and improve communities and really allow people this pathway towards the American dream, I don't think it's been done. And so, we, we, you know, there's, there's so many people that live generationally in hopelessness and they just don't see a way out. And there is one. And, and it, and it, it just, 
and and it's it's like, well, who am I to say that? I'm just this white guy, right? And you know, I'm kind of like right now the scourge of society because you know, if you watch the news, like I'm the descriptor of the the, the worst person on the planet. But I I don't I don't I see things maybe differently than other people, and I really feel like there's opportunity out there, but there is a segment of our society that has never been really truly given those same considerations. And you can look back historically on, on laws and, and on different um, things that have created a welfare state or, you know, just the, the quality of schools in, in low-income neighborhoods. And it just, it's meant to perpetuate the misery. What are we doing and how can we do it better? Those are the things we should be talking about, not just really stoking these fires of anger and hatred and division, because that's all that's happening right now. And it really offends me. It offends me in such a great way because I have two children that are trying to find their identity in this world and they see it stacked against them. They do. They have to. And, and, and our conversations are, you know, more about let's live in faith. Let's live, let's work hard. Let's, you know, let's, you know, you, you got this incredible nest where you can really just learn how to fly and, and we're going to do everything we can to promote that. But I don't see that in our culture and in our leadership. I don't. Like I, I, I saw hope in the last four years where, you know, people were being let out of prison and, and, and there were opportunity zones and there were all these different things that were going to be able to allow people to get those, um, those small business loans to kind of lift themselves up and give it, you know, and then I don't see it now. And, I, and I'm just worried. I'm worried about, you know, just this whole country burning down over something that we, we can do this together. We can really work together to create um, a better future for everyone. And we spend so much time looking at the wrapping instead of the gift inside, you know? And, and to me, it's like, I, I, I grew up, my family was, was really, um, my dad was in charge of international studies at Bowling Green University. And we had, I, I learned how to speak Swahili at three years of age. Okay. <laughs> it was insane. <laughs> And I never saw, you know, um, I never saw people as um, better or worse. I just saw them as people. I just saw them as, you know, you look different than me. Who cares? You know, like I look different than you. Who cares? And, Who cares? and so to see where we've become and how far this has gone, I just get really upset. And I don't get upset and angry about a lot of things, but this really offended me yesterday when I just keep seeing and hearing all these sound bites of just no you need to be you need to be angry and you need to you know and, and this and, and it's like no no we we can do better than this we need we have to expect and demand better than this yeah and you as a white man saying what you just said is a big part of the answer to um bringing us closer together. You know, I, I understand, I, I get what you, what you meant when you said that right now you are the epitome of the, the scourge, the white man in America, okay? But you're not. You, Scott Hamilton, are not. And, and any other white person who looks at humanity and not at the color of someone's skin, they get it, right? So um, you, my friend, are, are most definitely not 
the scourge of humanity. We need more people like you to speak out and speak the truth. And so I thank you for that. And um, your children, all four of them, are so incredibly lucky to have you as a role model and as a dad um, because you are living, hmm, you are you are living and breathing what you, you're walking the talk. That's it. You're walking the talk. I have to do more. You know, it's like I'm in a season right now where I feel like um, due to, you know, kind of all my ups and downs that I, um, I have uh, the ability, you know, to dress certain things, you know, and, and, and a lot of it is, you know, where we are today, whether it's me being hooked up to um, a chemo line or, me being, you know, shoved into a, a radiation machine or, you know, I, I you know, I, I have the experience to be able to talk about certain things and try to encourage people that, again, where we are today doesn't necessarily ensure that that's where we're going to be tomorrow. You know, again, you know, going back to my whole blessing for every blessing, there was a curse, right? It wasn't until cancer that I realized that it, I had it all wrong. I was an unwanted, unintended child that was brought into the world when, right? And then you look at <clears throat> the fact that, um, you know, I, I was unwanted, but I was adopted. And then I got sick and I got found skating and then I lost and I figured out a way to win. So it wasn't for every blessing, there was a curse. It was for every little bit of a curse. There was this incredible promise of a blessing. And and in that, I, I feel like... Um, my this season is about encouraging people you know it's about it's about telling people that you can work through your problems you can rise up above your circumstance you can do all kinds of things but it it starts here and here you know and and you can i mean there's so much out there there's so much to to do and to accomplish and to and whether it's big or small it doesn't matter it's just our identity is our identity and our purpose is our purpose and we have to be true to that and and I, I just, um, you know, I, I, we just started a relationship with Encourage X. It's a wonderful yes, mutual platform. Yes, I was just going to say, you know, you're yeah, bringing up the, the whole really concept fun. of encouragement. So, so tell the audience what, what you are, are planning to do with your, your platform on Encourage X and why this is so important to you. Well, I think, you know, everybody's looking for it's, you know, just a crack of light. Just give me something. I'm living in all this. And I, I don't really, I just need that little gust of wind. I just need yeah. that little light. I need that thing. And it's really been wild. I, last year during COVID, I was doing all these um, different things. I got invited to one thing with a, uh, the CMO club and they, I got another invite and then another invite. And out of that, these relationships formed. Encourage X is just it's such a natural ex extension of everything I'm doing with my CARES Foundation, you know, with cancer. And a lot of people, especially that are facing uh, a battle like that, really need to kind of uh, give me give me something that I can just sort of hang on to, you know. And yeah. and a lot of it is just kind of the wisdom that comes from having been there, done that, right? And so yeah. uh, perspective. So just to, just, to, just to back up for just a second so that the audience yeah. knows, for those who don't, that you started the CARES Foundation after your own battle with cancer. Mm -hmm. So give a little bit of that backstory and then we'll move forward into yeah. why so, you're, how you're using the foundation now. <clears throat> CARES came out of um, <clears throat> my own experience, right? So um, when I was diagnosed uh, 
I, I didn't really know what testicular cancer was. So I went on the internet and um, there was nothing but medical journal papers, sometimes, you know, 12 syllable words, three to a sentence. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm too dumb to be sick. <laughs> That's not fair. You know, and then, um, and then, you know, I, I didn't really, I go, how sick am I going to be with chemo? And my doctor said, moderate to severe. And I said, uh, what is moderate to severe? And he said, moderate to severe. <laughs> and so I go, he, he's never had it, right? So he yeah. can't tell me either. And so I realized there was some missing huge gaps in the cancer community that needed to be addressed. So I, I get through my cancer. I wanted to quit at round three of four because I was just different. You know, I was swollen. I didn't have a hair on my body. I was just like, I couldn't touch my toes. And I was on I was diagnosed 50 cities into a 60 city tour. Okay. So I was like on fire at that point in my life and career. And now my, my world had completely changed. Right. So I, I wanted to quit. <clears throat> and a dear friend said, Oh, how many rounds do you have left? And I go, one, I can do that. Duh. And then, you know, surgery and the 38 staple surgery and all that. And, and I, I just needed to understand and prepare myself for what I was about to endure. And there was no one around to help me do that, except people that had witnessed it, not people that had been through it. So I realized, okay, we got a big problem. And I was, and when my mom died of cancer for that 20 year period before I was diagnosed, I would raise money for cancer research. I figure I got to be a part of the solution. If I can figure out a way to cure my mom's cancer, I, I would know why I was born, right? Because none of it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so with CARES, we just decided we're going to come up with CARES stands for the cancer. Alliance for Research, Education, and Survivorship. So we didn't want to be like one bucket. We wanted to really look after filling the gaps in the cancer community. And so we launched chemocare.com, which is everything you need to know about chemotherapy, um, how it's administered, <clears throat> the drugs themselves, and uh, side effects all in eighth grade English and Spanish with Google Translate in the language in the world. Figured if we did 3 million hits a year, we won the lottery we're doing well over 3 million hits a month. And it's, oh it's gosh. just incredible. And that was, those are old, that's old data. It's probably much more than that now, probably but it's crushing it. Yeah. Chemocare.com is giving patients exactly what they need in order to understand what they're about to endure. To, to fill in the blanks between moderate to severe, <clears throat> right? Right. Yeah. So yeah. now we know here are the side <laughs> yeah. effects and here's how yeah. you can manage them. So it's, it's, you know, when I started CARES, they did a survey, the, nursing, the Oncology Nursing Society did a survey for newly diagnosed patients. And one of the questions was, what's your greatest fear? And 30% of the patients said, my greatest fear is death. 42% said their greatest fear was treatment. Mm. So that's an eyebrow raiser, right? So yeah. then you got to think and say, well, okay, we, uh, so wh whoever's got, whoever the publicist, publicist is for chemo that we need it. We need to kind yeah. of counteract that. And so yeah. we did that with chemocare.com. The other part of it is, you know, moderate to severe. How do we, how do we, how do we help patients get the information they, they desperately need? So I realized, and it was the night that we were announcing cares as an organization. I looked at my urologist, Dr. Klein, I go, what do you think of this? And he goes, what? And I go, what do you think of the name fourth angel? And he said, sounds kind of interesting. What is it? And I go, well, when you're going through cancer, your first angel is your oncologist. Your second angel is your oncology nurse. Your third angel is your friends and family. What was missing was that fourth angel. 
And the fourth angel is someone who's been there, done that, and can walk with you through that experience. And so we create a mentorship program, which pairs newly diagnosed patients with survivors of the same disease and treatment style, right? And and it took a while to get it going because, you know, people were saying, even the American Cancer Society was saying, the fourth angel should not be around because, and, and now they're fine with it. But in the beginning, there was that fear of change, right? Patients shouldn't be giving other patients medical advice. Well, it's not that at all. It's life. It's life wisdom. Yeah. Here's what I did when I got scared. Here's what I learned on chemo days, how to best control my diet. Here's what, you know, if like when I really didn't know how, you know, how, how to talk to anyone, here's what I learned. Here's some books and some resources that I've found. Here's a way to talk to your children about mm-hmm. your, you know, here's, here's, and it's wisdom, right? It's not medical advice. It's life mm-hmm. encouragement. It's, it's role modeling. It's all the stuff that we need as human beings in our lives. And so fourth angel just went like that. I mean, it's, it's almost unmanageable right now. I'm in the mentors we have in the program. And then the other side was research. And so, you know, it's all about research, but in the meantime, let's, let's empower people to be able to really with knowledge and confidence and um, support, get through a really difficult period of our lives. And, and so that's, you know, basically um, my relationship with Encourage X is sort of an extension of like a fourth angel mentoring type of program where exactly. if people really need that little puff of wind in their sails just to get through that day, um, they can they can get it through Encourage X and they can, you know, it, it's really a phenomenal program. It, it's just sort of a brainchild of a man named James Brown and he's just brilliant and and he leads with his heart and his, and his incredible mind. And um, it's just fun to be partner with him. And that came out of this COVID, See, right? It came right, out of this right. crazy, out of like, accidental yeah, I know. thing. And it's like, so, I, so I, I'm in that season. I want to encourage people. So you are going to have an Encourage X collection. I have an Encourage X collection as well. Oh, and basically awesome. what this means is that people can literally go to your collection and get some specific language and tools to encourage people in their lives who are on a cancer journey. Yes. Yes. And, and it's, it's really, um, you know, there's so many quotes, you know, that that are always, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember when I was at the Olympics in 1980, you know, um, uh, Eric Hyden said something. I don't know if it was his quote or if he found it somebody else, but they were all wondering why he wasn't leveraging his five gold medals to just blow up and go into the marketplace. He said, I'm going to do one endorsement and I wanted that endorsement to be enough money to get me through medical school. That was it. <laughs> he didn't want the tail to wag the dog, right? So he said, look, <clears throat> it's not the events in your life that define you or your character. It's how you respond to them. And I've never, ever forgotten that because it's good and bad. You know, I meet cancer patients daily who are more alive and powerful than they've ever been. And I meet people that have achieved great fame and fortune, won the lottery, basically, who are absolutely miserable and their lives are just an absolute train wreck. And it's like, which one do I want to be? You know, and it's kind of in that whole idea of blessings and curses. I saw a little girl at a cancer survivor celebration one time. She was a student athlete in high school and she lost her leg to cancer. 
And she said, the worst thing that's ever happened to me is cancer. But I'm here to tell you the best thing that ever happened to me was cancer. And it changed my world. It, that's what flipped the blessing and curse thing for me because it, it was like, wow, yes, my life now because of cancer is so much different than it would have been had it not, had it not ever had it. And, and it was, I wouldn't have my wife had I not had cancer. I wouldn't have my children if I didn't have cancer. And, and all of those little forks in the road that we get to, you know, they really define our lives. And in that fork in the road, I decided that my life would be better if I, if I just took some time to just allow the dust to settle. And then I approached it anew, like I was given a second chance at life. And in that second chance, everything that is happening today came out of that, you know, with the CARES Foundation. Um, that's, you know, but, you know, again, going back to the most important thing is my wife and my family. Like, you know, like all men, I way overachieved. My wife is definitely, you know, like. Are you saying here, you married above yeah. your station? <laughs> I, I, we all do, but I certainly did. Right. So, you know, she's taught me so much and she's given me so much and she daily, I'm just sounded by her perspective and intellect and faith. And, 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 you know, when I was going through the third brain tumor, um, she did um, an interview with this, this, um, this thing. Anyway, she did this interview and I'm kind of like around the corner listening because I wanted to know how she'd do it in an interview situation. You know, she's very smart. And so, you know, my whole thing when I go in for an MRI is no matter what I, no matter what news I get, I'm going to accept it with joy, with joy. And they, they couldn't understand that. And they asked mm -hmm. her, they go, how is that possible that you can accept a, a, any, any result, like especially a bad one with joy? And Tracy said, um, and I'll never forget it. She said, no, you don't understand. Joy isn't the lack of fear and suffering. It's how you go through it. Mm. I mean, that's. Wow. Ooh. No, but that's it. Yeah. But that's life. Yeah. Life, life isn't, life it. is going to be um, met with fear and suffering, but it's the joy is how you go through, you go through it. it. And you don't allow things to destroy you or undermine your you know, every day's existence, you got to find a way to rise up and rise above your circumstances and accept the fact that today's a day. There's breath in our lungs, you know, there's yeah. love in our hearts, there's thoughts in our minds. And, and, you know, that's a day, right? That's a day to be appreciated. And that's a day to live. And that's a day to enjoy. And that's a day that we can, um, you know, we can use to serve others that really need that. You know, and, and so, you know, in this yeah, season, the, I mean, now like you, you know, how, what can we do to help people, to help people kind of understand it. where they are and, and figure out either how to rise above it or leverage that in order to um, reach, you know, some goals that maybe they never even thought to dream. That's the beauty of the, the power of encouragement because it's, it's limitless and it takes so little to literally encourage someone to find the joy to get through it. It's a, a phone call. It's a phrase. It's a text. Yeah. It's a, you got this. You know, I got your back. <laughs> you can was, do this. Yeah. Go ahead. There was yeah. a guy, I was having breakfast the other day. And I was getting ready to pay my bill and a guy came up and he goes, um, Scott, and I go, yeah, and he goes, oh, he introduced himself. And, and uh, he just goes, you know, 
I do. I try to do a lot of stuff in the Nashville community. He goes, thank you for the things you do in our community. It's like, it's not enough, but you know, I'm working on it. And he goes, I'm going to buy your breakfast. And I go, Oh no, you don't need to do that. Really. You don't need to do that. And he goes, Hey, don't steal my blessing. <laughs> I'm going to do this good that. thing for you. Don't no, steal my blessing. That's, yeah. that's, it wasn't, he wasn't, it was like, yeah. as he was blessing me. He himself yes. was being blessed. And it was like, he was being right. That's, okay. that's it. <laughs> you're, you're being that. blessed. When, when you bless <laughs> others, you are being blessed. When you encourage yeah. others, you're encouraging yourself to go do the next great thing. When we're all in this little together. Thing. We are all in this That's, together. I mean, this is not rocket science, people. That's what I all, you know, it's like we're all here on this planet. We all have a, a, a right to be here. We all deserve to be treated as humans. You know, level playing field, full <laughs> stop. What is so freaking difficult about that concept? I mean, I understand, you know, all the history and everything, but. I mean, let's come on. Come yeah. on. I had, a, I had a friend and I, I adore this man. And we were all playing golf one day. I'll never forget it because I've never, I haven't laughed that hard in so long. And he just said, you know, he said to my friend, he goes, I'd rather be, I'd rather be ignorant than stupid. And my friend looked at me and goes, spell ignorant. <laughs> 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 he goes, Okay, now slow down here. And I could get it to spell check, but don't get me into that. And it's that. It's like until we're able to kind of take a yeah. step back and maybe yeah. try to understand what walking in somebody else's shoes is like. And, you know, it's wow. like it's really hard to be compassionate. It's really hard to be um, of service. It's really hard to understand, you know, and, and we have so much. I mean, the world is. Um, it's a tough place, you know, and that's why I really lean into my faith more now than I ever did before. And, and the more you do that, the more you find things. And I read, you know, the Bible daily and, and it's really been an encouragement. When I went to um, Israel, with my son last, it was right, right when the, the lockdowns were happening and everything. And we thought we we're going to be stranded there, which would not be a horrible thing, but um you know, we were, we were going in and part of it is you know, there's a room where this guy can make use of like a little piece of jewelry or trinket to take home, you know, from your time there. And I thought, oh, I want to get something for my wife who sacrificed her trip to stay home with the other kids. And so I went in and he goes, um, do you want anything? I go, yeah, I kind of do. And he goes, well, most men get rings. And I said, okay, I, I, I'll get a ring. I don't really wear them that much, but I'll get a ring. And he said, what would you like on it? Uh, some scripture. And, and I said, uh, uh, oh, sorry, yes. And he goes, what? And I go, um, John 16, It just, man, it just came on me. Like, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not a big, I can, I remember it, but I, it's not like spouting it out. And John 16, um, says, um, Jesus says to his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble but take heart. I have overcome the world. And that was the ring I got made. And it was, it, it was so appropriate for that time, uh, not only in my own life, but in, in history that, you know, how are we going to rise up above this stuff? Well, we're going to rise up above it with service to others, with honesty, with integrity, with um, uh, understanding that we are in community and that we need to support each other, not rip each other apart. 
I almost thought that, you know, when I came home, I, you know, I told my wife, oh, this thing is kind of fundamentally evil because it's robbing us of everything we are and what we need in order to be productive in our lives and to be enjoying our lives. We're separated from our friends. We're separated from our, our livelihoods. We're separated from our financial, any financial security. We're separated from everything has been pulled away from us for a common goal where the common goal line kept getting pushed to where there was no end to any of it. Right. And now there's this whole other thing. So we, you know, we, we just gotta, you know, we've gotta be smart. We've, we've gotta respect each other's desires and what they want. We want to do, but we also have to be really smart and do our homework, you know, as far as what are the best next steps and none of it feels like it's, you know, wow, it just happened to, this just happened or, you know, none of it feels that way to me. And, and, and again, you know, for our world to be in this medical crisis at the same time that we're getting into all of these divisive things, it just feels so contrived for lack of a better word. And um, I think, I think right now as individuals, we need to embrace each other. Like we've never embraced each other before. And, um, and love like we've never loved before. And um, it, it all starts with that. You know, it just love conquers all ills, no matter what we're going through. If we lead with love and, you know, everything comes from it, hope and respect and, and, um, and just, you know, compassion. And, and that's where we need to be as a culture and as a society. And all of those types of things have been um, almost um, an attempt to squish them with other things that are mm-hmm. divisive and hateful and and meant to sow discord. And and you know, no, 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 no. I'm not falling for it. I'm not going to fall for it. And the people that are uh, in a position to fix it need to be held accountable because. <laughs> They're using catastrophe to empower their positions, and it's wrong. It's wrong. As I've been doing CARES, I'll just say this. I've been doing CARES for 21 years. I've been trying to make a difference in the world of cancer, and I've not accepted one penny to do it, not one. That, to me, that's leadership. To me, that's the, if you're going to solve a problem, make sure that every single person that's there to support you their money does the best work it can possibly do. And I don't, I don't see that with all charities. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so many powerful messages that you are leaving us with, Scott. Um, I, I cannot tell you how, um, how grateful I am for having had this conversation with you. Oh, um, you. you are one extraordinary human being. And um, again, I think your family um, is is so blessed to have you leading them, especially your children, you and Tracy together, leading your children through this tumultuous time and providing them a sense of identity and, and most important, a sense of hope because we all need that. And you're showing them how to lead with love just by being the man that you are. And um, I just I just thank, thank you. you. I just thank, thank you, you so very much. And I wish you the best with your new Encourage X collection. 
Oh, that'd be fun. I'm excited. With, with, <laughs> with CARES and CARES will continue to do the amazing work that it's doing in the cancer community. And please consider me a friend and a resource Always. and anything I can do to help you. I am there. I am so thank there. You. So oh, thank you're you. The best. Uh, I so appreciate you and your platform and how are you using your, your time and talents to uh, serve the community. I really, really appreciate that. It's been an honor to be a part of your you. world just for this hour. And um, I can't thank you enough. Thank you. This little girl who used to figure skate at four years old is just <laughs> jumping up and down inside right now. I just got to present. Say. I always tell my students, present. if you yeah. don't, if you don't sell it, <laughs> nobody can buy it. Right. No, that's right. That's right. Okay. Thank you so much, Scott. You take care. Boy, I enjoyed that. As I'm sure you could tell, I hope you did as well. Scott's Encourage X collection launches on May 15th. You can find it at EncourageX.com. And of course, we'll link to that in the show notes and all of the incredible things that Scott is doing, including his wonderful CARES Foundation. If you like what we're doing here on Our Voices Matter podcast, please subscribe to us and like and share away. Thanks again for giving Scott permission to speak and for having the courage to listen with an open mind. We look forward to seeing you next time.